Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I thought I'd start this morning uh, by telling a little story that roughly involves him. So this is me as a nine, ten-year-old uh, on a family holiday in Santa Ponza in Mallorca. Uh, we'd go here um, for family holidays. Some friends of ours in the church, they had access to a villa, so we'd go there and spend some time. And what I would do to fill my days was get some coins, chuck them in the pool, dive in after them, go swim to the bottom, collect it, swim back up again. And I'd do this over and over and again. I'm a simple guy, it entertained me. Um, I got good at this after, you know, let's say seven days of doing it over and over. I got quite good at it, so I thought I'd challenge myself. And I'd throw the coin right at the base of the steps, and I'd dive in from the other side of the pool. One day, dived in, swim to go get it, got the pool, pushed up off the bottom, and I hit my head on the bottom of the steps. Warning for anyone who doesn't like squeamish details, don't worry, there's no photos, but... When I got to the top of the water, my sisters who were in the pool with me at the time, they said, you need to get out. Your head is like wide open. And I'd cut my head from here to here, and it was an open wound. There was a lot of commotion. I got out of the pool, and fortunately, there was a doctor there at the time. And she said, you really need to go to hospital to get this sorted out. So as any good, loving father would do, my dad took me and my, with my mom, and we went to hospital. And I was in the room waiting to be seen by a doctor. And a doctor arrived, he came into the room, and he came straight over to the bed to treat the patient. But the patient wasn't lying on the bed. The patient, myself, was sat in a wheelchair just to the side, holding my own towel on my head, <sighs> looking after myself while my father was lying on the bed having passed out. I was nine or ten years old, holding a towel on my open wound, saying, don't worry, Dad. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll be okay. I'm going to pull through. While the doctors sorted him out. Um, and to the day, he's still not got any better. Um, so I spent the rest of the holiday just sat at the edge of the pool with a kind of cool bandana. It was cool at the time. Um, to cover the big bandage on my head, just dipping my toes in. And that was me for the rest of the holiday. And today I want to tell you another story of an unwell son and a father's response. As we continue our series in, uh, in John's Gospel, looking at the seven signs. Well, Tim last week kicked us off, um, looking at jo uh, Jesus' first miracle at the wedding in Cana, where he turned water into wine. And then Jesus went on from there to perform a whole load of other miracles and miracles and signs, and they were recorded in three of the other Gospels that we find. Um, at the end of John's Gospel, he says this, Now, there are many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus did so much, and we've got a capture and a snapshot um, of what he did. But we do see more of the detail recorded, as I said, in what's called the Synoptic Gospels, and that would be Mark, Matthew, and Luke. In Mark's Gospel, he tells us really about what Jesus had done. Matthew and Luke tells us why Jesus had done it. But in writing John's gospel, his main purpose is to help us discover who Jesus is and what it means for us to follow him today. Matthew, Luke, and Mark introduce us to the kingdom of God, where John is pointing us to the king of this kingdom. So it's my prayer for you today 
that wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, that as we look to this text, that somehow you grow and you develop your own understanding of who Jesus is. And if you don't know anything of him at all, then please hear the invitation of this series to come and see. So let's read uh, from John chapter 4, starting at verse 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man had heard that Jesus had arrived in from, arrived in from Galilee from Judah, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign that Jesus performed, having coming from Galilee, Judah to Galilee. This is our passage for today, and I want to deep dive into it and pull out some themes that I've seen as I've been preparing and studying. There's a lot that we can learn from it. But as I first read it, the thing that jumped out to me to start, there's a lot of references to a lot of places. And I think it would be really helpful as we kick off, just to understand some of the journey and the travel that Jesus went on as some of the uh, accounts in John are recorded. So I've got a map. I like maps. So I want to walk through this with you. So if you look right at the top, we have Cana, just above Nazareth, by the Sea of Galilee. And this is where Tim talked us through the, the turning water into wine last week. After this, we see in John chapter 2, Jesus comes down to Jerusalem. And you might have heard the story of where Jesus goes and he turns over the tables at the temple. He really wasn't happy with what they were doing in the house of God, in his father's house. Jesus then at that point stayed in Jerusalem, and we read in John chapter 3 where he meets a man called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is referred to as the teacher of the Jews. And Jesus explains to him that if you want to enter the kingdom of God, then you must be born again. Jesus then sets his sights north again, heading up back to Cana, but on the, en route, as Drew mentioned uh, in his call to worship this morning, he met the woman at the well in Samaria. Jesus challenges her about some parts of her life. And as a result of this challenge, her and a whole load of people in the area of Samaria come to know and put their faith in Jesus. And then he finally arrives back in Cana North, and that's where we pick up our meeting today. Our sermon today, sorry. So I want to jump back into the text and pull out a few different things. So Jesus has arrived back in Cana, and at this point, he'd been doing a lot of different things. His miracles and his reputation had started to build and started to spread. People were excited that Jesus was back. Jesus, the miracle worker. Jesus, he's come, he's returned, the power that comes with him. They started to get excited. The word had spread its way to Capernaum, which is, if you look back at the map, just on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, uh, right at the top there. And that's where we're introduced to our, our royal official. Now, we can understand from this that he worked for the king. He worked in the king's household or part of his staff. And we know this man would have been a man of means. This is Daniel Craig, who is the closest example I could pull for, uh, for a photo uh, supporting the queen. Let's see, this man was a talented man. He was a man of means. He had a household and a staff, as we learn later on in the text. But what we know about him is that his son was sick. He would have gone to 
all kinds of extreme lengths to try and find a remedy for his unwell son. You know, all the wealth and resources that were available to him couldn't fix the problem that he had, couldn't save his son. But what he had heard? He'd heard of a miracle worker. And he just had to go. He had to go find this person who had power, who could fix his son, because he'd exhausted all his other options. He was going after the power that Jesus had. Um, so he traveled on his way to, to Cana. And now this journey from Capernaum to Cana is about 22 miles. So just to reference that for you, if we were to leave the village hotel here, get on the M3, drive all the way down, we'd hit Twickenham Stadium eventually. That's about 22 miles in distance. That's the kind of journey that he took. So this man will have got on his horse. He left behind his son who was right on the edge of death to go find Jesus because everything else, all other options had passed. When he gets to Jesus... He meets him, and he pleads with Jesus, please, can you fix my son? Can you heal my son? I want to look at Jesus' response. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, this guy has just left his dying son, comes to Jesus, the man with all the power, and he's greeted with a bang. Jesus rebukes him. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you people will never believe. You see, there'd been a culture building at the time where people were so interested in the signs that Jesus was doing, they totally forgot about the person he, who he was. There was an over-focus on the, on the power rather than the person of Jesus. This Roman official seemed to have missed the point, and Jesus uses this moment to confront him, to realign his thinking, and draw um, a different conclusion to, to what he thought might have happened. And now on first reading, when we see this, it says, you people see sign- uh, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And what our English translation doesn't do here is give us the, the actual true meaning of the word you. See, in English, you isn't plural or singular. But in the original Greek, this word means plural. It's a plurality to it. He's not just speaking to the um, official on his own. He's speaking to the wider group who had gathered, to the people of Galilee. Because at the time, it wasn't just the official. It was everybody else in the region were focused on the power and the miracles of Jesus and had missed the person. I want to ask you a question. I hope this works, because otherwise my illustration will pretty much fall on its head. Um, If I said to you, Hollywood, what's the first thing that you picture? Yes. (laughs) The sign, exactly. But you see, there's so much more to Hollywood than just this sign. If you went there, if you went on a holiday... You camped at the foot, you set up your tent, you spent your whole time looking at the, at the sign of Hollywood, you took your selfie with it, you did all of that, you'd miss an awful lot about Hollywood. Overfocus on the sign, you miss something really significant. This is Chris Pratt, if you don't know, and this is Chris Pratt taking a selfie with his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I want to run a scenario by you. Imagine this scenario, and I wonder if you could potentially see this happening to yourself. So you're walking down Hollywood Boulevard, looking at all the signs on the floor. Oh, this is cool. This is nice. And you see this in the distance. You see this man lying on the floor taking a selfie. You think, ah, that's a great idea. That will get me quite a few likes on my Instagram. I'm going to recreate that photo. And you're thinking about the sign. You're thinking about the star on the floor that you actually haven't really clocked that this is Chris Pratt. This is the person who the star is pointing to. I know, you wait for the guy, and he's, he gets up, and Chris walks off on his way, and then you go down, you lie on the floor, and you take your photo. And in doing that, you've totally missed the thing the sign is pointing to. You've been in the presence of Chris Pratt, 
but you wanted to take a photo of the sign because you were so fixed on that that you've missed the person. Could you imagine that happening? I certainly can. I've seen a number of photos and videos on, on Instagram where people go and like, oh, you know, could, asking a celebrity to take a photo of them with something else. It, it's really real, it's really possible. And I believe this is what the people of Galilee and the official were doing. They totally, Jesus was there, he was in their presence, but they were so focused on the stuff he was doing that they'd missed something really significant about him as a person. They were more interested in seeing what he was doing, but they've missed um, everything that he represented instead. Now, John tells us of this kind of attitude earlier on in the book. It says, Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not, he did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what, each per, what was in each person. Many people saw what he was doing, but we see there's more than just an acknowledgement of power when it comes to Jesus. That doesn't quite paint the full picture. How many times have you heard people say, oh yeah, Jesus, he, he sounded like a nice guy. You know, he did some really good things. And that's as far as it goes. There's so much more to a relationship with Jesus than an acknowledgement of his power. Jesus wants our hearts to be captured by himself and not just an acknowledgement of his gifting. Are your hearts captured by Jesus, or has he just maybe entertained you from time to time? I wonder. John writes of his intentions at the back of the book as well. He says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The reason John is writing this book is to show people the person of Jesus, Yes, we're looking at the signs, but they're all pointing to something, to someone, the Messiah. Jesus wasn't just a man. You know, the people you know, accepted that he would have been from God, but they were expecting a Messiah. And Jesus might not have looked like the Messiah they were expecting, but that's who he was. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was telling them, this is who I am. This is what I've come to do. And they missed it. <clears throat> As I said, people did realize he was from God. I referenced the story in the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in uh, chapter 3. Nicodemus quite clearly says, well, no one could do this stuff unless they were from God, but they'd not realized that he was the promised Messiah. Can we not get distracted by all the stuff that comes along with Jesus and miss this person, the, the savior of the world, the son of God? It's really important that we get a hold of that. So I just want to jump back into the text now. And we see the, the um, royal official, he's challenged, but he still has a sick son. And he goes back to Jesus and he pleads with him again. He says, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. And we can learn an awful lot about Jesus in this moment. You see, in Scripture, we see Jesus confronting people. We saw it at the woman at the well. We see it here, and there's other accounts of that. But what we see when Jesus does this is that the challenge and the comfort often go hand in hand. Jesus doesn't just call people out without a greater means, without a care for them. There's an amazing quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. It says this, His desire, oh, sorry, the hardness of God is, to, is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is a liberation. I'll read that again. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. His desire is to see us liberated. God wants to give us freedom, and he wants to give us life, and life in all of its fullness. 
Um, but sometimes there comes a challenge in order for us to get there. And the challenge may be hard in the moment, but please be reassured and please know that the challenger is always good. God is good. God knows us. He made us. He knows what's best for us. And often in the midst of our trouble and, our ch- and the challenge, we can't lift our gaze to a bigger picture. The royal official needed a miracle for his sick son. But you see, Jesus wanted to bring salvation to his household. Jesus saw past the immediate need to a greater need for his household and salvation. And we see, even in this moment, Jesus does heal the son. But it wasn't in the way that the royal official was expecting. Jesus replied, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. We see the grace of God at work in this moment. Even in the midst of a challenge, God still answers the request. The two aren't separate from each other. The two can work side by side. And in this moment, faith started to rise in this man. He'd moved from an expect, just a requirement for power to a trust in a person. We see his response to this, and this is how we, I've, I've come to this conclusion. I find it really interesting, as the writer, as John writes. He says, while he was on his way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. So his whole household believed. And you see, as I read it, what jumped out to me was this word, yesterday. We know from the text that Jesus said the words, you will live, at one o'clock. But as the official meets his staff, he refers back a day. He says it was yesterday. We can deduct from that that he will have stayed the night somewhere after his encounter with Jesus. And it really got me thinking, why would he stay the night? He's left his sick son. And it got me thinking even more because I love a map. I went back to trusty Google. As we said, the journey from Capernaum uh, to Cana is about 22 miles. I see Google Maps doesn't have a horse listed as a means of transport. Um, so I went for the closest thing I could find. I thought a bike. And obviously we've got modern roads, but go with me on the picture. It says it would take about three hours to, to cycle from Cana to Capernaum. And if Jesus healed the sun at one o'clock, He could have been home for dinner. He could have got back. He'd left his son on his deathbed. There was an urgency that was required. But in a moment, after his encounter with Jesus, something changed in the man. The rush had eased. There wasn't that priority. He believed that Jesus had done the work he said. In this culture of sign-seeking and needing to see the power, this man was satisfied in the person and that he'd done it. I thought that was really interesting. You know, John doesn't say that there were any more conversations that took place, but I do believe in this moment the royal official started to believe Jesus was the Messiah. He went there with an idea that this man had some power, and he left with this understanding and reassurance that he was the Son of God, the Messiah, who was not just powerful, but he was personal. He was the Messiah they were waiting for. He had confidence in the work that Jesus was doing, even though it was from a distance. He didn't need Jesus to be there anymore. He didn't need Jesus to come with him. He was satisfied at the distance healing. 
And as a result of this, and as a result of the faith in the man, he goes back to his household, and they all believed as well. They'd all moved past this sign-seeking kind of culture to a true understanding of who Jesus really is. So what can we learn about Jesus from this story? So Jesus healed from a distance. Jesus went contactless. Why did he do that? Well, I believe two reasons. I believe it's to demonstrate that his power is unmatched. Any other person at the time who might have been a faith healer trying to do this kind of thing, they were all present in the space. There was some kind of thing that they were doing in the locality. Jesus was like, no, he's good. He's healed. From a distance, that's unmatched power. That's showing his divinity in, in this context. The other reason is it reinforces his challenge that they're missing the point of who he is. It's more than just a sign-seeking. It's not a show. There's nothing elaborate. Jesus does this at a distance in an instant, in a single few words, in a few simple words, to highlight the fact that it's not about all of that. It's about me. He has the power. You know, another thing I think we learn from Jesus here is that there's kindness in the challenge. You know, the hardness of God is softer than the, the kindness of man. You know, if you have been confronted or challenged by Jesus, and I have a few times, in that moment, it's ultimately for our good. Let's, not be caref- let's be careful not just to be entertained by Jesus. Let's be challenged and changed by him. I think we see the risk and the challenge of that out of this passage too. All the signs that we're going to look at in this series do show an, an, un- an incredible level of power, but they're always meant to be pointing us to a part of Jesus' character that we need to know and understand. Don't be distracted just by the power and be focused entirely on it, but look to the sign beyond it. Another thing, Jesus doesn't always work in the way that we are expecting or wanting him to. You know, the request of the official was partially answered, but partially denied. He asked twice, can you come with me? Can you come down? But Jesus was like, no, I'm not going to do that. But he did heal the son. It's because Jesus can lead, uh, look beyond our immediate needs to what we ultimately need more. I wonder if I could invite the band to join me back on stage. <clears throat> As I said, Jesus often sees past our immediate need. The official son was sick, but the more important thing Jesus wanted to do is bring salvation to his household. And I think if you're going through a challenge right now, let me encourage you to maybe lift your gaze. If there's something you're struggling with right now and you're pleading and you're crying out to God for it and you're not seeing the answer that you want, maybe Jesus has got a wider, a broader, and a bigger solution to the issue. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, he wasn't there just to show off his power. He wanted to know them personally. He wants to know us. This powerful desires the personal. And let's take that away with us this morning. That if our entire relationship with Jesus was built on power and um, incredible works, then I think we might have missed something of the person. You know, Jesus says he is there. He's going to give us the water to drink that we'll never thirst again. It's a very personal level. He meets us where we are. He's not some mysterious being who's unachievable or unattainable. Jesus dwelt in all of heaven's glory. Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father, yet he left that. He was born as a baby. He lived as a man. He worked a job, and he died a death so that we could have a relationship with him. This is what sets him apart from anybody else. 
the Bible says Jesus lived the, lived the life and knew everything we were going to go through. I'm paraphrasing. He experienced every trial that we would, try, we would face. He knows what it means to live on this earth as a man. But he came with the intention to save. He wants to know you by name. Well, he does know you by name. and He wants you to be able to call him friend. Church, I encourage you today. If you've been distracted by anything, maybe your gaze is in a problem and not at the Father, then lift it this morning. We're going to spend some time in worshipping. We're going to sing about Jesus. We're going to sing about a personal Jesus just now. Maybe take this moment to come back to that point. You know, there's a salvation available for you. If you don't know him, if you've never encountered him, today could be the day. I'm going to hand back over to Stace as she um, leads us in a time of worship, and then we'll look to respond a bit later. You're like a circle that floats around me, keeping me safe and sound. And when I fall, you've tied a rope to me. You're blessing me every day.